0: Your next game is going to be full of discovery and magical delights. (laughs) And the word goes to, I am magic beyond your imaginings. And here's why. (laughs) In this episode, we're going to find some answers to what's the best way to incorporate magic items into your games. And what are the benefits and the drawbacks of different approaches to introducing magic items? And why does our grandma listen to this podcast? (laughs) Well, because she's our grandma, for one. Yeah. Thanks, grandma. Welcome to the Hook and Chance podcast. I'm Travis. And I'm his brother, Jordan. So we are working on a couple of things. Right now, I'm wearing a Hook and Chance shirt. Excellent. It's tight, it's very tight. (laughs) I wish you were wearing pants. I should have ordered one size up. I am wearing pants. Don't make this weird. You're starting a narrative that we cannot come back from, and that's not okay. Yeah, but it's just about you, so it's kind of okay that I don't wear pants while we're recording. But yes, the shirt is a touch tight, a medium on you, but we've also got the pillow, which is pretty awesome, which I was considering this was actually a really good approach of Getting into housewares, because, I mean, every podcast, the first stop that you should make on the road to merch is housewares. Sure. I mean, (laughs) you don't need shirts. You don't need hats. Pillows. That's where it's at. Curtain. Hook and chance curtains. (laughs) Should that be next? Yeah. Everyone needs magical green, brightly colored curtains. (laughs) Hell yeah. With your face on them. That say what podcast you're into from the outside of your house. (laughs) That's advertising. Everyone can tell that you're a nerd. All right, let's start talking about our episode. This one is, yeah, all about magical items. So let's try this narrative. Let's, Let's play this out. So you're playing a game, and the players want some magic items. Now, one player keeps asking for a magic vorpal sword. They don't get it, game after game after game, because you keep rolling on a magic item table and they're not getting the item that they want. They've been asking for a vorpal sword forever. So finally, as you are wrapping up one of the best sessions in recent memory and popping your last beer of the night, getting ready for the final push, this player finally realizes that in this session, they won't be getting the item that they want yet again. And like a splinter in their brain, this drives them mad and they snap and they smash a bottle into a bar shiv and stab you in the chest and they get arrested and go to prison and spend the rest of their lives in jail making license plates and trying to get their cellmate the Jackal to try out D&D just once to get their fix. Classic Jackal. <sighs> And this is all because we couldn't figure out the when and where of magic item delivery in a game. Dang, <laughs> better DM a little better. What happened to the DM in this scenario? Uh, Well, they died from their bottle wounds. Shoot! <laughs> <laughs> that is not what I want when I'm coming to the table. So, yeah, how do we avoid this? And I think for players, this topic is really important as well. Of course, for DMs, when and where do you deliver magic items? How do you deliver them? What's the best way for storytelling purposes? Or do you just skip all that shit? You don't skip it because magic items are super exciting. Well, and then from the other side of that table, there's the players who, well, they want magic items. I, as a player, want some cool shit to use. I demand it. And when I start flipping through that DM's guide and I go, oh, damn, I could have Vecna's hand. And I could do whatever the hell I want. I can, I can have a wish once a month. I can turn bones to jelly. <laughs> you could do a lot of stuff with some of that those magic items. But from a player's perspective, it sounds cool in theory, but it can end up having some really kind of shitty consequences, not in terms of what the DM has to deal with, but just as a player. Like, there's no character growth. And I don't know, there's, there's just a lot of stuff surrounding that. But I do get the excitement of magic items. Yes, unlimited raw power. (laughs) Yeah, they make the characters feel powerful. In general, I've lived through the negative side of this, both as a player and as a DM. For instance, you gave one of the players Orcus's wand once. Yeah. I was a, that was one of my first campaigns. <laughs> I thought it would obviously not be something that they'd reach for. Nobody in their right mind would touch Orcus's wand and risk...
1: Like I gave them s- all the
0: proper warnings that it, w- it would probably kill them. It, well, there is a 75% chance that it kills them or something like that. It's a really high percentage that they're going to die. Just from grabbing onto it. And two players went for it. <laughs> Yes, the first one turned to dust, (laughs) and the second one had one hit point left after he grabbed it and took all of the damage that Orcus channeled through his wand, and then I had to deal with a character that was mega powerful. Well, and not just mega powerful, but has access to stuff like power word kill, and has the ability to raise undead armies. Yeah. Literal armies. That was a whoopsie done it. (laughs) So they're all cool in theory, but they can be game-breaking. And then from the player's perspective, I've been given wave before by a very generous DM, which is a trident of water people. Yeah, and it is very powerful. And I got it as a 10th level character, which was certainly probably on the earlier side of being able to have access to a weapon like that. And this is the famous weapon from Tales from the Yawning Portal, but essentially, it gives you like a plus three bonus to attack and damage rolls. Uh, if you score a critical hit, it does extra necrotic damage. It's sentient. It ha- is a trident of fish command. It's a- basically a weapon of warning. So it warns you into impending danger. Uh, it gives you water breathing. <laughs> That's not a fish sense. That's a spidey sense. It can make a cube of force. Like it's unreal what that weapon does. Yeah. And so what I experienced as a player... Was having to really tone down my use of this weapon and being able to, you know, not steal all the thunder from the rest of the players because I had this OP weapon. Yeah. In every encounter, you'd be able to just be like, "Look at me! I done it!" Yeah. I could just dominate every combat. uh, And then if I'm talking to fish, I can, (laughs) I could dominate any social interaction as long as it's with whales. That's why Aquaman was the front and center of DC. <laughs> Justice League as led by Aquaman. <laughs> yeah. So that's all the tricky bits of this. So let's figure out how to avoid all of this, all of this hurt and pain that we can inflict on ourselves as DMs and as players. Yeah. Just Let's just do the fun stuff. And let's go to the strategy stateroom. This is the strategy stateroom, where inventive and cunning tactics are crafted for when they're needed most. All right, so we thought we'd just take a look at some of the different ways to fold magic items into your campaigns and games, and see what we like about them, see what we don't like, and hopefully we can come up with one that the two of us prefer. So what are the different approaches before we kind of start breaking them all down? Well, you can do the random treasure tables, loot tables. You can ask your players to give you what they want, a bit of a shopping list or a magic item that they prefer. You can introduce items that the enemy has, kind of tied into that character, whatever enemy you have. If there's a lich, then it's kind of undead flavored. You can build magic items for your characters specifically, or you can let the players build them, and give them one-shot items that lead to pretty amazing moments. Yeah, so let's let's go through those. Let's start at the top of your list. So yeah, talking about those random treasure tables. Random treasure tables are pretty nice in the event that you don't have a ton of time to prep. Yeah, they're meant for those games where everyone's flying by the seat of their pants, I think. Every other approach has a certain amount of work that has to be done in in advance of ever talking about a magic item. But this, you just roll, and the DM is just as surprised as the players. (laughs) Yeah. The players get to kind of figure out what items they want and talk about who should benefit from it. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. That's almost kind of leading into the dangers of random treasure tables and kind of loot drops. It's like a it's like a very video gamey mechanic of oh hey, uh you get a scepter of this and it's like, well, that was a bear. What what was that bear doing with that scepter? <laughs> That's true. That owl bear <laughs> just got stuck in its fur or <laughs> and then the deep end of this pool is that you have a fighter that has super strength with a belt that gives them giant powers and you've got the world's most massive hammer and you've got untouchable armor. So all of a sudden you've got this untouchable tank that could take everything on his own and his crew of sidekicks. <laughs> <laughs> there also tends to be a lot of magic items for melee characters. I noticed that in 5th in edition, there's kind of a lack of... Items specifically designed for magic users. And in my experience, the magic users in the party always end up as some kind of like potion or scroll Sherpa where they're just like lugging around a whole bunch of scrolls that aren't really like amazing, mythical, magical weapons or items like, say, the barbarian has with his crazy friggin sword that glows at night and has a name. The magic (laughs) users just like. Hanging on to 50 scrolls. They could have a belt of wands, perhaps. (laughs) (laughs) A little holster of wands. Yeah. Yeah, that's fair. But ultimately, it's impersonal. It's not really story-driven. So you're, You're hoping that it works. Yeah. Yeah, you're hoping that this works out. But the players and you both know, deep down, on kind of a meta level, that... There's no rhyme or reason to any of it, and it's not really driving towards anything. So it just it feels a little bit hollow. But if you love that random chaos of games and you want to surprise everybody at the table every step of the way, look no further. This is the route for you. So the second approach is asking players or the players give a shopping list. Now, this is pretty sweet. Because the players can get precisely what they're looking for, <laughs> which can be pretty satisfying. Like you have a major say in the development of all the aspects of your characters, not just their abilities, but what magic items they're going to get. And the DM can bake these into quests, or or do whatever the case may be. You find it in a chest, but there's always you find it been in your chest <laughs> <laughs> after you've slain me with That's that a magic t- item. Whist. <laughs> well, yeah, you can just kind of drop them in wherever they need to go. And there's kind of two different schools of thought there. You can either give them the exact items or you can give them the types of items. If you're a player, you can just tell your DM like, hey, I just want a really badass sword. Long as you like. I want a <laughs> 30-footer. <laughs> 30 I want it to be completely impractical. <laughs> To wield. I want a rollout sword. <laughs> you can only use that sword in an open field. And you gotta get a good swing going. You could do a good swing, or you could just point it at your enemy thirty feet away and then <laughs> like a fruit roll up <laughs> it just goes until it stabs them. What? <laughs> That's my magic item of the day. You gotta brace it against the ground <laughs> and like hold it at a certain height and then ask the enemy to run at you at full speed <laughs> so that you can it's it's a bit of a uh Or hold still. It's like, a group activity. Yeah. Yeah. If you can distract them with <laughs> powerful conversation, maybe it'll work. Well, the dangers of this though is that players will be sitting there having given you this shopping list and saying, This, these are the items that I wish for. If you don't give them within that next game. They're going to be like, Where the fuck is my magic item? I gave you the list. Now give it to me. Well, to be fair, some players are like that. Not every player is going to be. Okay, I'm like that. Quite that demanding. But it does plant that seed that, like, that's where the story's going now. I can't wait to get my magic item. And every time it doesn't come, I'm going to get angrier and angrier until that bottle comes out and I stab (laughs) you in the chest. Sure, we're back to Travis shiving people again. And if you kind of just give these items out as requested then you end up with a situation like on the wizard's turn they use the staff of the magi to conjure several beings formed from pure primal fire and begin laying waste to the army that stands before your party in defiance then on the rogues turn they gently float down waving a wand of feather fall and they join the wizard <laughs> why wouldn't those two just trade or nah uh, yeah i guess well And that's just it, is that you end up with imbalance issues if you actually give the players exactly what they want, because ultimately there's always a player at the table that is wishing for uh, basically superpowers, and then there's others that are just like, no, I'd do with a plus one sword. Yeah. And you can't make them all happy. You can't demand that everybody want the same type of thing. Or those are just a whole bunch of awkward conversations, and... I think it also leads to a little bit less delight in players because they're not as easily surprised because they know that it's coming. They've requested it. They know that you're thinking about it and it'll be along any day now. True, not quite as surprising, but I like a good anticipation once in a while. <laughs> I like to see the trailer before I see the film? <laughs> <laughs> sure. So I think this is really good for groups that love diving behind the screen a little bit more. Like if everybody's doing it together, it can be a really cool exercise. And everybody kind of talks about where they want their characters to go at the same pace. But it does require, I think, a lot of group communication. Yeah, and at least a little bit of work on the DM's part. For sure. Okay, so another option is to introduce the enemy that has the loot. So again, kind of going back to that whole loot drop idea, but trying to find a way to work what you think the players will work well with or items that appeal to them, but now you have to try and give it to an enemy that they've fought and conquered so that they can find it in a more natural way. So some of the benefits of that are that it's a lot easier to work into the stories. Like I said, it has a more natural feel to it. The players don't feel like you're just outright giving them something that they've requested. Yeah. And it doesn't quite feel like it's a gift. It's just, hey, this this happens to be here. And the players don't necessarily need to know that maybe the enemy, even if you're running a pre-written campaign, that the enemy that they fought didn't always have this item. But it's definitely intended for one of the players. And it definitely has a direction that you're trying to push it. And there's a definite feeling of victory and conquest in that. Like you deserve it because you fought for it. You're not just finding it somewhere in the bottom of a pile of trash that you slept the night in. (laughs) That's how I reward all my magic items. Yeah, there's a there's a sense of discovery and that's really satisfying. I think it's even extra powerful when the DM turns it into something that they're using against the party because when the magic effects have been used against you. It's that much more satisfying when you finally claim it and raise it over your head and you get to wield those same powers. So some of the dangers of this approach though is the work on the DM side to ensure that the enemy has the item, which sometimes doesn't make a ton of sense to work in narratively. Yeah, you do have to consider where they got it. You end up in a scenario where the bone wand of the Lich King which makes sense, is now in the hands of and being constantly used by Snuffles, the gnome barbarian, which just doesn't make a ton of narrative sense. <laughs> that believes in the power of life. It doesn't feel like this is the the true weapon of this character. Yeah. It was the true weapon of the enemy. <laughs> it can still be a lot of fun to play this out, though. It's not saying that it's, it's not for everyone, but... No, no, for sure. And yeah, like we were saying, it does require the DM to think ahead, make sure that the enemy is strategically using this item, because it never makes sense when you've got a healing potion in the pocket of a dead bugbear. <laughs> <laughs> what were you doing? Why didn't you use this, you dummy? You forgot. You had one one job. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe the cork was real tight. <laughs> that's that's a cursed item it's a healing potion that you can't get the cork off of dang (laughs) just forever taunting so this is probably for groups that want a little bit of story with all their chaos it still definitely has an element of randomness to it but it ties it into the narrative a little bit more totally so the fourth approach is building magic items for characters specifically and. I really like this approach. I think it's a good one. It's something that I did for one of your characters, who was a rock gnome monk. Monk Fought with his hands a lot. Yeah. Loved to get close and personal. And it's so challenging to create items and weapons for monks, because often they're getting all of their bonuses from hand-to-hand combat. Yeah. So what what kind of weapons do you give that person? They can't wear armor. They can't use weapons. So for your character, I created uh, 10 tiny rock-like people that coalesced around your arms to become kind of bigger, tougher, punchy arms, rock arms. Yeah, it was definitely a good way to start off the combat, kind of like a catchphrase or something like that when, you know, my character holds out his arms and the little men start jumping onto him and holding on and, and turning into these massive fists gigantic arm fist rock things that you go swinging (laughs) go go gigantic fist thing (laughs) rock arm that doesn't have a ring to it but it was built specifically with your character in mind and all of the aspects of your character taken into account so and it felt like it was adding to my character's story like yeah it was their natural evolution it was meaningful yeah, but of course, as you know from that experience, the danger of this is that it's a lot more work than any of these other approaches for the DM. Oh. To consider every character deeply and figure out what the player would want and what the character could narratively use. And This it... was literally just hours of me in the, the pose of the thinker, usually on the toilet. <laughs> Trying to come up with some incredible magic items. That's your space for creative. That's my thinking space. (laughs) But I mean, it is still super satisfying for everybody too. Like you as the DM got a lot out of that as well. Pretty proud of those creations. Absolutely. On the flip side of that, you have another story of me trying to introduce Oathbow to a character. If you are unfamiliar with Oathbow, it's... Basically just a really badass bow that you can promise that you are going to murder somebody with it and it gives you bonuses to <laughs> those attacks. Which is pretty cool as a concept. Very cool. Love it. And it matched really well with a ranger that we were playing with. And not to throw this player under the bus too much, but when I first tried to introduce this weapon, it was through an NPC that was trying to kind of mentor him. And this NPC said, I wish for you to have that. And the player turned it down saying, no, it's not in my character to accept gifts. And so I came up with, well, shit. (laughs) What now? (laughs) And then I tried to introduce it a second time uh, as a twin oath bow, a matching pair of oath bows, was owned by two separate rangers, and then they met another ranger that had the matching pair. And that NPC died with Oathbow, and the rest of the players said, hey, you should probably have this. And the players said, no, it's not my character to loot the dead. (laughs) Double shit! Damn it! What the hell? What do I do to try and give this player this item? So, a player with a lack of greed is truly <laughs> <her>. <laughs> not often encountered. Played his character to a T. <laughs> Wonderful role playing, but challenging when you're a DM trying to give some cool magic items. Drop it from the sky next time. So, all that to say that this technique is probably best for groups with a super dedicated dungeon master that really wants to. Nurture their party. Give them the best experience they can. Yeah, this is a really good approach. And I think it's something that you and I both really love to use. We try to do it when we have the time to do it. Oh, but it is a lot of work. All right. So the final approach. And I would say that you and I are in agreement that this may be the best approach we've ever encountered. So far. (laughs) (laughs) Let the players build their own magic items and weapons and gear and cool shit. There's a lot of reasons we love this method. One of them being that the players are leading the way on the magic item creation. And it can be a step-by-step process. Like they don't have to create one epic item, but they can create it as they go and make upgrades to it. Absolutely. I love this approach as a player to say, no, I'm going to, slowly and over time craft the most epic weapon that anybody has ever seen because it's my character that's doing it and that's usually the way that a character develops as well so it kind of matches that like you develop your character over sessions and sessions and sessions and then become more detailed and intricate but if you were to give yourself a magic weapon on day one it might not be what you eventually would have wanted yeah yeah yeah, and it can go through iterations and, yeah, flex and flow with that, that character progression. The other thing that I really love is that it gives players something to do with all of their wealth. <laughs> That's for sure. 5e has a bit of a thing where it's just like, here's a shit ton of gold, and there's not a ton of options other than magic item crafting or buying castles. Or, you know, be creative. Be creative, Sure. <laughs> But baked in. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you just spend it on cool shit. So here's a good way of blowing all that money. <laughs> For sure. Beyond the dream of a dairy farm. Eight hundred cows. Let's aim a little higher there, <laughs> sir. What are you talking about? <laughs> it also takes all of that weight off of the DM so they can focus on other aspects of the game. Totally. And if a player feels a little underpowered. The group can work together to make the money so that they can all get what they want. It really ties a group together to say, we're in this as a team. Like you're deciding like, okay, I want this item. I just need a little bit more gold. Can somebody pitch in? And then we'll focus on what you're working towards. It totally hits all of the narrative beats that some of these other approaches are lacking. It adds all of the player direction that we need. It's good juicy stuff. So the dangers of taking this approach are really few. We can't come up with a lot of challenges when it comes to taking this approach, other than players sometimes don't know necessarily what they want to build or craft. And I guess me as a player, if I'm not really sure, if I'm fairly new to D&D, and I'm not totally story driven, and I'm not super self realized and self-actualized and saying, I'm going to make this, then I'm going to end up flipping through the DM's guide and finding some magic item and going that direction anyways. Yeah. So you do need a good system to work with if you're going to take this approach. The other real challenge to this is even though it is player directed and There's a lot of freedom that they have in that. It does still kind of miss the truly world-changing feel that is granted by getting a magic item like the hand of Vecna or the wand of Orcus. Yeah. You're not like, oh my God, I'm a superhero. I can change the world with a snap of a finger. And that is game-breaking when it lasts a long time. So this is the second portion of this approach. And it is, in order to grant this feeling, every once in a while, the DM has to throw in an opportunity to use mega powerful items, one-shot items, and leading this to brilliant moments. So, for example, one of the few magic items that I gave to Rumor, the voice that you hear, (laughs) on all of our intros and segments, she still talks about this to this day as one of the greatest moments in her D&D experience was when they were in a forest and there was a ton going on and all of this, the twisted fae creatures that were corrupting this forest that she was a protector of were bearing down on you guys as a group and it was... Like, the odds seemed insurmountable. Yeah. Like, it was certain death. (laughs) The forest is alive! But a previously met and somewhat intimidating forest guardian, this big treant kind of entity that you had met earlier in your travels, came in, jumped into the middle of the fray, and then grabbed Rumor's character, Rokia, and brought her right into this thing's chest, where she now had full control, and I gave her tons and tons of stats and crazy shit that she could do, (laughs) and she messed those twisted fake creatures up. And yeah, it was just like one glorious moment, but she couldn't walk around in that plant suit for the rest of the game. Yeah, it was was like the Power Rangers bringing on their Megazords. (laughs) It's just... This is it. Like, you get one opportunity to do some serious damage, and then that gets taken away. Everyone needs a Megazord. <laughs> so, yeah, we love this approach, probably the most out of all of these different options. And that's why in the next episode, we're going to follow up by getting into a lot greater detail about how to do that one, if you like it. <laughs> which you do i'm not saying you do no i'm saying you do yeah he's saying you do so if you like you love it travis (laughs) then listen by demand if you like me listen because you want to well we'll save that for the next episode i can't wait to dig into that but for now let's go to a new segment Folks come here to Grandma B's schoolhouse to gain knowledge and apply the history of their realm. So the motivation for this particular new short segment is because our grandma listens to the podcast. Hi, Grandma. Hi, Grandma. (laughs) And the parts that she likes the most are the parts where we talk about stuff from the real world. Real world history. Facts, history. All that kind of jazz. Because I don't think D&D really <laughs> resonates with Grandma. <laughs> Doesn't speak to her. Quite as much as some of the cool historical stuff that we brought up on the podcast in the past. So what we wanted to do with this segment is talk about the different ways that you have used historical facts in the past in your games. To inspire the weirdness that is Dungeons & Dragons. So if you've ever... Come across any neat historical fact that has inspired a game or an NPC or a magic item or anything else like that, tweet it at us or hop onto Reddit and let us know. Jump into our Discord and we'll find a way to work it into a segment like Like this. this. So, what you got for us this time? Well, thanks to I Want Pizza 555 on Reddit, Mm. they shot us a story. That used to be a bit of a campaign base, I think. I think the the campaign was kind of built off of this story. And this story is of Hatsheput. Are you sure about that? Nope. (laughs) (laughs) The short version of this story is Hatshepsut. Hatshepsut. We're working through this. We're figuring this out. Was a pharaoh of Egypt. However, what made this pharaoh really interesting was that this pharaoh was a woman. Excellent. And as the story goes, her father, Thutmose I, died. And she saw this as an option to make a power play for the throne because she was never going to be destined for the throne as she was a daughter. And she said, that's bullshit. Let me guess, I thought most number two was in line. Yeah, basically. If she hadn't, her nephew would have been the next in line, which is kind of, at the time, it was like, ah, eh, that's kind of distant. Yeah. But I, we have to skip over the daughter in order to get to the distant relative. They just need a guy. <laughs> yeah. Loosely related guy. Just needs to have a ding-dong in order to be pharaoh. So she wouldn't have been granted any of this status as a ruler, And she said, and we don't know whether or not this was true, if it wasn't awesome, if it was, that's pretty forward thinking of her father, but her father said, this daughter of mine, Hatshepsut, I have appointed as my successor upon my throne. She shall direct the people in every sphere of the palace. It is she indeed who shall lead you. Obey her words, unite yourselves at her command. Now, those don't necessarily sound like the final words of a pharaoh. I'm back on Team Thutmose. Well, if this is true. If it's true, it's pretty badass. Yeah. But I haven't, like, I could imagine kind of dying on your throne and being like, uh," and that's a lot to get out. But (laughs) who knows? Maybe it happened. Maybe it didn't. Either way, now she's pharaoh and it's time as pharaohs do to start creating depictions of themselves and statues and on walls and all that kind of stuff. Do I have to be a pharaoh to do that? Well, no, but that's just called graffiti. In her depictions of herself, it was really hard to tell whether or not it was a man or a woman on these depictions. And so, like, sometimes the stance was very feminine, but the features were masculine, and then kind of mixing back and forth. And she was doing this very deliberately to dilute this idea that pharaohs had to be men. Nice. Start changing people's minds. Well, turns out people weren't super on board for that. And she said, fine, screw it. Uh, If you don't like this message that I'm showing, I'll just be a man in terms of all of my depictions. So then after many years, this... Same pharaoh Hatshepsut decided to present as a man with beard and muscles on all of these statues. If you're not going to accept me as a woman, I'll just go ahead and lead anyways and let you believe whatever you want to believe. Yeah, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter to me. I'm still pharaoh. So, Hatshepsut rocked 20 years as pharaoh and it was probably some of the most peaceful and prosperous times of that period of Egypt. She built some amazing things. She really nailed trade with some big expeditions, like really pushed and made a serious mark on the the history of Egypt. Right on. That's pretty awesome. She passed away in her late forties. And then her nephew went on to become the Pharaoh and went to immense efforts to erase her mark on the world and vandalized all of her images to secure his son's legitimacy and ascension to the throne by saying this is the way it's supposed to be. God damn it, Thutmose. (laughs) (laughs) You insecure dink. That sucks. Yeah. A cool 20 years, at least. Yeah, it was a rockin' 20 years. It was pretty good. So, And apparently there were no wars during her reign. Wow. Yeah. But Thutmose probably came along and started up a whole handful. uh, Every second Friday is stabbing day. (laughs) Well, hopefully you enjoyed that new segment. I could have done without the ending. <laughs> but <yeah. laughs> pretty cool story either way. Can't change history, but you yeah. can by twisting this into something that would work for your games. True. Maybe there's a really cool story of a ruler who can't be outwardly known as a ruler. As whatever they they actually are, yeah. Yeah. Maybe it's a, a D&D fantasy race that isn't allowed to sit on the throne, but hell they are because screw what you think Mm-hmm. well cool yeah again send us some stories so that we have a future for this segment so hopefully you got something out of this episode for including magic items intentionally in your games join us again next week we're going to talk about those one shots and how to make them truly epic so thanks to tabletop audio for the sound effects that you're hearing in this episode You can follow us at Hook and Chance on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, Discord, and Reddit, and send us those ideas and how you've used historical true stories in your games to add a little more flavor and fun. Thanks Thanks for for listening, listening. and And unleash my phenomenal cosmic power!